0: Good morning, everybody. It is an absolute delight and honor to be with my spiritual family today, be able to share with you. If you're just visiting with us, just joining us today, just to let you know our uh, senior minister and teaching pastor is out of town today. So endure this week, and he will be back. Um, And and I I really mean this when I say this. I I love the fact that we have a teaching pastor and senior minister who is literally one of the best preachers in the world But I love him even more for the way that he loves and leads this church. He protects an environment of safety where Jesus gets to be first here and we can be broken when we come into this place. And I thank God for him and I thank God for this place. It's an honor to be with you all. I want to begin just by by reading the scripture that we're going to to look at, uh, pray, and then we'll, we'll explore it a little bit. Um, it's in Hebrews chapter 6, if you're following along with your Bibles on your phones and devices, I'm going to skip through this a little bit. We've got a whole chapter, and so I'm going to just kind of take us through an overview of it. So I don't have any words up here, just, just listen or follow along. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us go on towards maturity, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying again the foundation. She lists some things there. Skip down to verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Skip down to verse 9. This is where he leans in and we will too. Even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case, things that belong to salvation and the rescue of God. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you showed for his sake in serving God's people as you still do. And we want each one of you to show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the very end so that you may not become sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And then he speaks of what promise he's thinking of in verse 14, the promise to Abraham and all people who surrendered him, I'm going to bless you and bless the world through you. Skip down to verse 18, so that we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as the psalmist prayed so long ago, I pray again today, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Sometimes I believe that we all need a word sometimes. Some word that will help us take the next step of where we want to go in our lives. Sometimes we need some word, some message, some kind of verbal shot in the arm. Maybe it's to overcome some struggle that we're going through. Maybe it's for us to kind of take a a grasp or a hold of some vision or dream we've been given. Sometimes we all need a word, some kind of spoken word or verbal word of affirmation or hope or encouragement. In fact, there's a technical term, hang with me here for a moment, a technical term of the kind of word I'm thinking about here. It's called a word of exhortation you haven't heard that before, actually Patrick referred to this earlier. Patrick is taking us through this little book in the Bible called the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews actually tells us what it is. It's not a poem that you might find in the Psalms. It's not a theology book that you might find in other places. What it is, chapter 13, verse 22, the writer, what I would call the preacher of Hebrews, is giving them a word of exhortation. The first or second week, Patrick told us, what you're hearing is a sermon. By the way, I take some comfort, Chris, in this, that 13 chapters later, he says, it's a brief sermon, so I promise that sermon will be briefer than mine. That's the only thing I can promise. But he gives him a word of exhortation. For those of you that may have heard this before, this word here, the root of this word is the very same word, the night Jesus is arrested, he said, I'm going to give you a promise of a comforter and an advocate, the promised Holy Spirit, who will paraclete, walk alongside of you. That's the same word. He says, what I'm giving you is a word of walking alongside of you. All of us sometimes need somebody to walk alongside of us and speak a word of life to us. I want us to feel for a moment what it is we're getting in the book of Hebrews. What is the point of this kind of message that the preacher and teacher is trying to give us in the book of Hebrews? In all of my theological study, in all of my spiritual training, all of the work that I've done in communicating the gospel, I've come across... A very concise picture of what it looks like to give a word of exhortation. In fact, if you've been at the same worship gatherings that I've been at from time to time where we're celebrating lifting up uh, the, the one who is in front of us, you might have heard this particular word of exhortation applied to our own local context. So I want you to hear for a moment a word from Pastor Yost. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. And if they cross around of scrimmage, I'm going Take every last one of you out, you make sure that they remember forever the night they played the Titans. That is a word of exhortation. And that, hear me, that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing. The preacher, the the life coach, and spiritual director of the book of Hebrews is leaning into a group of people that are weary, worn out, and beaten down by life. And he's given them a word. He's leaning into his congregation, a group of people that are weary, and worn out, and beaten down by life. Some of you today walked in this room weary. And I'm not just saying because you didn't get enough sleep last night. Some of you are weary because of the things that you were having to endure. Some of you are weary for things that even haven't happened yet, but in your mind you're already going there. I know, I do this too. Some of you are weary for the people that you love dearly and you can't fix what they're going through and you can't fast forward where they're going in their life and you walked in here weary. Sometimes all of us need some word. Somebody walk alongside of us speaking the word of life to us and that's exactly What God does for us in the Holy Spirit, who is always our word of exhortation, and here in the book of Hebrews. In fact, God, in His creativity, the life coach we find here, doesn't just give us one word of exhortation, He does it in several different ways. I want to just kind of, this is a drive by through the chapter to see some different ways that we get this word from God. Sometimes we get a playful word. Sometimes what we need more than anything else is a kind of a playful word. Your teacher, your coach, your spiritual director, your guide or mentor may watch for this, sometimes may even tease you a little bit into taking the next step, where they know you can go, but you're afraid to do it. Have you ever had a moment like that? They may even tease you, kind of poke you, prod you, urge you a little bit to go somewhere. They know you can get there. But you don't think you can. I want you to imagine with me for a moment. I want you to feel what's happening here. Imagine with me for a moment that you want to learn an instrument. Maybe you know one, but you want to learn it better. Or you've never learned one before. And, and you are learning at the feet of this master teacher. And she's been teaching you for months and months and months. And then imagine this. I want you to think about what you would say to her if this is what she said to you. I've got this new technique. This new musical technique for your instrument. I am dying to share that with you. In fact, if you get this technique down, it will open up whole worlds of music that you've never been able to experience before. And then she says, I'm dying to teach this to you, but you're not ready yet. What would you want to say? The teacher says, I've got this new technique. I'm dying to teach this thing to you, but you can't handle it yet. What do you want to say to her? Let me try. (laughs) Test me in the, give me a shot. That's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is doing. My whole life, I've read, by by the way, Patrick said this last week, sometimes the divisions in the chapters aren't the real divisions. We understand that. That came later. So what we're talking about here, I started in verse 1. It actually starts in the last paragraph. I don't have time to read all of this, but you can skip up to the last paragraph, verse 11 and 12 in chapter 5. That's where it starts. And here's what the slightly playful teacher does to them. I'll use his metaphor. Here's what he says. I've got a feast for you. Those of you that have kind of kind of just come into the Christian faith or you've been doing it for a little while, I've got a feast for you. But you're not ready for it. You're still on baby formula. It's in there. Or the metaphor that we did read in the beginning of chapter 6, this is what he says, I've got an architectural wonder that I want to invite you and your community into, the problem is you're not ready for that, you're still sleeping on the concrete slab that we call a foundation. Do you get the picture? The teacher is teasing them. We find this out in verse 9, because he is going to say that. I used to read this like, I've got things to say, but I won't tell you, he does tell them in the rest of the book. But here's what he's doing. Sometimes we need a playful, almost teasing word from God or someone speaking in our life to push us a little further. Hear me. There may be some urge stirring in you. There may be some sense of of something inside of you saying, I want to step out, but I don't think I'm ready. That may very well be the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one walking alongside, urging you, teasing you, playing with you. Did you know that's the point of the parables? Jesus does it all the time. I grew up, is it, hear me, parable is not an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He's not doing that. Here's my favorite definition of the point of a parable. Listen, a parable's function is to tease the mind into active thought. Isn't that good? To tease the mind into active thought. Jesus will tell stories to poke us and prod us and maybe take a step out there. The teacher here says, I've got this beautiful, world-changing depth of Jesus to introduce you to, but I don't know if you're ready for it. Sometimes we need a playful word, and we need to do that for each other. Remember hearing a guy that that was kind of a literary mentor to me. I met him a couple times. His name's Tim Elmore. He was a, a disciple and mentored by John Maxwell. Maybe some of you have heard of this guy who did some leadership books and those kind of things. When I met him, he was a college minister. And he was speaking to a room about 500 college students on a regular basis, a weekly basis. And he was mentoring and discipling a young man in his ministry. And he'd gotten to that point where he just kind of wanted to wanted to take him to another level, take him to another depth, and he was kind of praying for the opportunity, looking for the opportunity, and and on the morning of one of those gatherings where he's going to speak to a room about this many people that are college students, he woke up, it's one of those mornings, he woke up and he calls, we'll call him Bob, I don't remember his name, but he calls the student, Bob, up in the morning, he says, look, Bob, have you ever had these mornings you wake up, allergies or something, I don't know, he said, Bob, I can't talk, I I can't talk. And I need your help. We've been talking about this text. We've been dreaming about this vision. I need you to give the talk tonight. Bob is freaking out. (laughs) Can you imagine being a college student, being asked to speak in front of your peers, 500 of your peers on less than a day's notice? He's freaking out. Tim says, look, we've done this together. We've talked about this. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can in the day, and I'll be there in the back room quietly just cheering you on, but you've got to do this for me. And so the night comes and Bob gets up there and Tim's in the back quietly kind of cheering him on and Bob stumbles through it and he's scared to death but then he gets it done and he gives this offering to God and when he's done, he walks in the back and listen to me, with full-throated roar, Tim said, way to go, man. He wasn't sick at all. (laughs) He just felt in that time of his stage, he needed a little playful push to get to the next place. Watch for it because the Holy Spirit will do that to you. He'll just tease you, poke you, prod you a little bit. Just urge you to tick, stick your toes in the water. You can't do that, can you? Oh, dive in. Sometimes we need a playful word and we need to do that for each other in the community. Sometimes, though, we need an urgent word. I would call it a tearfully urgent word. I almost skipped this section. I love that he gave me chapter 6. Here's the verse. Nobody knows what it means, right, in verse 4. It sounds like it's saying, it, if you come to Christ... And you fall away, you can't come back. It sounds like it says that, right? And here, by the way, I'm not going to rest all of the disputes on this text in one little talk on a Sunday morning. But I will offer you what, what, it, what it helps me to think through when I think about this text. Can I first of all just say this? I love the way Patrick says, can we read the difficult places in Scripture through the lens of Jesus? <laughs> Okay? And just pastorally for a moment, can I say to you, if you've ever come across a verse like this or the unforgivable sin or whatever, if you ever come across something, and it doesn't even have to be that, it could be your own experience of life that tells you, I can't come back. Hear me. That's a lie. Here's what I do know through the lens of Jesus. He tells a story. We call it the prodigal son. Terrible title. I call it the insanely loving father. And what we know about the prodigal son is he does leave. He is a son, he, does fall. he doesn't just fall away, he runs away. He tells you, Dad, I wish you were dead already. I'm going to treat you that way, give me my inheritance, I'm going to leave. He goes, the Bible is very clear, as far away as you can go as a Jewish young man. Do you understand? And the moment he turns around, He can't even get home because the father runs to him, wraps his arms around him, and brings him home. Let me tell you, if there's any inclination of your heart that has stepped away from God in any way, the second you breathe a thought of coming back, he will knock you down on the way to bring you home. Whatever this text says, hear me, it places no limitations on the mercy and patience and grace of God. So what if, I credit Tom Long for this, I is—I is, offer this, I'm not saying this is the only way to see this, but what if the preacher here is talking as a pastor and not as a theologian? What if he's not sitting in a back room debating about what God can do with sinners? What if he's talking about his experience tearfully in the life of his church? And what if he's begging people not to let go of the gift Because it's so hard sometimes to pick it back up again. Don't walk over the cliff. Oh, you better believe it. God's arm is strong enough to save. But you don't want to go there. What if he's talking as a pastor? Saying, in my pastoral experience, when you have tasted the wonder of God, and then you give that up for something else, it's really hard it's impossible. Maybe he's not talking theologically. There's nothing problematic with God. Maybe it's hard for us. And Sometimes what we need is a tearfully urgent word to each other to say, I know it's hard sometimes just to be a follower of Jesus and put one foot in front of another, but please, in the name of Christ, don't jump off that cliff. I remember talking for almost an hour to a friend of mine a while back now. And, uh, and he and I have helped each other out. We've done discipleship. We're praying. We're growing as followers of Jesus. We're growing as, as husbands and friends. He's a phenomenal businessman in the community. And he called me up one time. Have you had these moments? I just loved his honesty. I'm done, he said. I'm just done. It's so hard. And I'm just telling you right now what I want to do is throw it all away. I want to walk away from all of it. I'm done. And you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have to fumble my way by the grace of God into meaningful moments. And and I, you know, we talked, and we talked, and we talked. And I'm just telling you, I was giving him truth, right? The truth that people have given me. It was meaningful and helpful, and I would share things with him. And finally, the part that I, I'll never forget, he said, would it really matter? What difference would it really make if I just threw it away and walked away? And something in that moment just cave over me and I wept with him and I told him some of my own experience and experience as a pastor and minister and friend of other people who just said okay I'm done with God and just ran and in my tears I said look God will rescue you but I'm begging you I don't want you to experience the pain that so many of us have experienced in that journey down the cliff before he grabs you. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Dean, we talked for 45 minutes and you told me a lot of things that were true. And in my head, I knew they were true and it was doing nothing for me. But he said, your tears and your experience moved it from here to here. Sometimes what we need to do, can we say this, we're talking about this as men a whole lot, God's just breaking this up. I'm just telling you a conversation I keep here and I want to put it out there. In the name of Jesus Christ, can we be a place that's vulnerable and open with each other? I'm not saying you got to come up front and tell whatever. I'm just saying it's okay to be broken and messed up here. It's okay to make that phone call. If you're in a place right now that says, I'm ready to throw in the towel, in the name of Christ, tell somebody. Because we've all been there. You are not alone. And sometimes we need a tearful, urgent word that says, please, please, please. God will get you. It's not about God. I'm just telling you, you don't want to climb up that cliff. You don't want to do it. But here's what's I love, this is a great preacher in the book of Hebrews. He plays with them a little bit. He cries and urges them a little bit. But he says, really, I'm not talking about any of that. Have you ever had a sermon? That like, that's not the point. That's not the point, even though there's some cool points in there. <laughs> None of that's the point. Here's the point. He says in verse 9, what we really need, most of all, what we really need is a word of unbridled confidence. I hope I don't jinx us with this picture. <laughs> and please don't tell me we're DVRing the game. Don't tell me what's happening. But some, listen, we all sometimes need a playful word and we need a tearful word. But I'm telling you, every day of my life and yours, we need somebody walking beside us saying, don't quit, don't give up, you can do it. Now understand when I say that, really quickly, I'm not talking about self-help. You can pay plenty of money to go get that. You can go to the bookstore and get that. Can I tell you, testifying for most of the room that's lived enough life to test this out, can I tell you this? Young people, can I tell you this? Self-help is a bankrupt account. Self-help is a powerless road. I'm not talking about that. When we speak this word into each other, we're giving each other real reasons for confidence to go forward that goes beyond me and you and speaks to a higher power and a higher place. So what he leans into in this text, and for the last few moments, let's lean into this. Why do we have reasons for confidence on those days when we want to do anything but hold on? When we're weary in our souls, not just in our bodies. How do we have confidence? Here's a couple reasons that he tells us we have confidence. I believe God says you can have confidence because of what God sees in you. You can have confidence in what God sees in you and in me and in the world around you. What does God notice? Now, I want you to, for a second, look at this picture and feel it with me for a moment. If you're like me, you might have the same reaction. If you see a picture that says, I saw that from God... Are you feeling happy and light? Are you scared? You're laughing, right? If you're like me, the picture I've got, throughout the Bible you get this image, okay? Throughout the Bible you get the picture of the searching eyes of God. God is searching hearts. He's searching the world. And what's he looking for? In my mind for years, and I still have to overcome this, I worship in order to change this view of God. I got the picture of God as the cosmic cop. Or sorry, Gary, the cosmic principle and, and the grade book and right, the, the audit, right? And what God is looking for is failure. What God is looking for is sin to root it out in the world. What God's looking for is that. That's not what the text says. What does it say here in verse 10? God will not forget your work and your love that you showed to his people in service. God will not forget your work and the love you showed to his people. By the way, quick line in here. He's talking to Christians, he's talking to followers of Jesus. Nothing in here or in here is saying you're saved by what you do. No, 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 no. Here's what I've come to believe. We talked about this a little bit in our little Wednesday night class. So I say this to everybody. It took me a while to get this. Those passages that say God is searching, what is he searching for? By the way, it was came out in, in In the prayer card video, right? This is what Patsy prays for. The picture of God looking not for failure, but for faith. He's not looking for something bad. He's looking for something, sometimes anything, in this messed up heart that he can work with, and he'll start with that, and he'll build it up. Do you see the difference? God will not forget. You're tired. You're weary. You may not even be doing anything, the pastor says, but God remembers the work you did, and he'll start with that. Maybe you're getting caught up in self indulgence and self pity and all of the self things that destroy our lives. And he says, But I remember that time when you turned your heart outward to another human being and you poured yourself out. And I can work with that, God says. Hear me, hear me, hear me. Any fool can look in my life and find failures and defects. You hear me? You don't have to look long. Any fool can look in my life and find failures and defects. They take a little longer with you, but any fool can look at your life long enough and find your flaws. But listen to this. It takes a God who can raise the dead to look at Peter and call him a rock. Go read the story. It takes a God who can raise the dead to look at a five-time relational failure of a woman in Samaria in John chapter 4 and make her the greatest Billy Graham her city had ever seen. Anybody can find failure. Guys, churches majored sometimes in finding the failure in the world. Thank God that's not where Patrick leads us here. It takes a resurrected Christ to look at the world and say, sometimes in the middle of complete despair, I see this one ray of hope, I'm gonna start there. God can do that. What did Jesus say he was looking for? I'm searching the world for faith. And when I find it, I'm diving in there, and sometimes he celebrates, and he'll take the most ridiculous people, a widow with no money at all, giving two pennies in the pot, and say, oh my gosh, have you seen this person? I have confidence, not because of all of my mess, I have confidence, as wonderful as you are, because of all you're broken, I have confidence in what God sees in you, and he says, I can build off that, and I can change the world with it. I remember, uh, I think, a little less than two years ago, talking to a dear friend of mine in the darkest moment of his life. And we cried together, and, and we talked, and we did some of these words, some of the urgent words together and all of that. But I remember a particular moment in time where I felt this little urging from God to say something that at that moment sounded like the craziest thing I could tell this guy. But this is what I told him. I can already imagine a time where your voice will give someone else hope. He's in a completely feeling like hopeless place in his life, darkest place of life. I can already imagine a time where your voice is going to give somebody somebody else hope. Your story will actually save someone's life in the hands of God who has given up hope. And I'm telling you, this past week, I saw it happen less than two years later. Isn't it astounding that whatever it is that you walked in the door being weighed down by, whatever it is that wearies your soul, may be the very thing that God turns into a story that will save somebody else's life? God sees in you any inkling of movement towards Him, any movement of your heart bigger than yourself, and He says, I can work with that. And we can have confidence. And what God sees in you, but my favorite thing to talk about in this text, I love it, and he just kind of goes off on this at the end. My greatest confidence is not what God sees in you, but what God sees in God. And this is cool. I love this. Go read the text, and we're just doing a drive by here, but read the text because this is what he says. When we want to really tell somebody we're sincere, we make up all sorts of ways to say it, right? I swear, I'd love to hear different things that you'd swear on, right? And I know what Jesus said, and we'll all, we won't admit it, but we do. I swear on my grandmother's grave, right, that this or that. My favorite line is, God is my witness, right? And we all do it. We've done it for centuries, so much that the preacher of Hebrews is able to talk about. It. But this is what he said. Look, God gives a promise here, and who's God going to swear by? <laughs> right? Who cares about grandmas tomb on that one? Listen, Read the text, I promise you, this is what it says. God says, here's the promise, we'll unpack it just for a moment, in verse 14. Here's the promise, I'm going to bless you in such a way you're going to be a blessing to other people. It's not about you. I'm going to bless you in such a way you're going to be a blessing. And here's what he says, I swear to God. God says it. God swears to God. It's really cool oh we don't have time for this I'll just throw it out here real quick go read Genesis 15 because the, pa- the promise in here is not just for Abraham but for anybody Paul says who is a son or daughter of faith anybody who says I'm going to trust God more than I'm going to trust me anybody who's a son or daughter of Abraham here's the promise I'm going to bless you and it's going to be a blessing to all people more on that in a second but here get the picture in Genesis 15 God gives you an example of God swearing to God this is, this is what God does have you ever heard the phrase to cut a deal? You know the Bible gives you a picture of where that came from, right? Because in the Old Testament times, they would literally cut a deal. If Mark and I were going to make a covenant arrangement we'd get a big old cow, we'd cut it in half, and do you know what we would do? Come here, Mark. I didn't plan this, but we're going to do this. So there's a piece of cow there, a piece of cow there, and what we'd do is we would walk between the pieces. Thanks. Now here's the picture. I want you to get the visual picture in your mind. You cut a deal. You walk between the pieces. You're making a statement. Do you get the statement? If I break the covenant, what's going to happen to me? May my life become like the life of that cow if I break the deal. You got that picture? Here's what's amazing. Go read Genesis 15. It's a cool story. Abraham cuts, cuts the cow and goes to sleep. The fire of God comes down. The fire of God goes between the pieces. You get the picture? Where's Abraham? He's asleep. Who's the only one that goes between the pieces? God. Do you hear what God says? Take it in in its full effect. God says, you can kill me before this deal will get broken. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless the world and you will have to kill me before this doesn't happen, no matter how far you go, no matter how bad you fail, no matter how, how, how far short the church falls, I'm walking between the pieces. God says, I swear on my life, you will have to kill me. And they did. Do you hear the force of the promise? Just a picture of this and then we'll wrap this up. Here's the picture of this promise. It's the most important promise in the Bible, one of them. Because everything comes off of this. Put your hands out just for a second. Put your hands out. I know I hate when people do this, but bear with. Me. This is our lives. It's a bowl, and God says, "I promise, I promise to bless you." Right? The blessing is not Alexis in a house. Stop saying we're the most blessed country in the world. Okay, we got a lot of stuff. That's cool. That's not the blessing. What is God going to pour into your bowl? Hear me. God's own self. God is the gift. Now, you got a bowl, and God is the ocean. What will happen when God fulfills His promise? You tell me. You can say it, we can talk. What will happen to this bowl? Talk to me, please. It will fill up, and it will spill over to everything around you. Put your hands up. That's the promise of God. I'm going to pour my life in you, not my stuff. We get that too. That's cool. God says, I'm going to pour my life into you in such a way. If all I do is get rid of the mess, I just say, here's my bowl. And it's got a lot of junk in it, but God still. And he will fill it up. Hear me. And it will spill out over everybody and everything You're like, life. Go read the Old Testament. It happens all the time. Even crazy people like Jacob spilled over to people and blessed them because God was there. We know this the other way, right? When I fill up the bowl of my life with mess, it spills over to people's lives. But here's the promise of God. I will die before I let that be the last word. I'm going to bless you and you will be a blessing to all people. And why do we gather here week in and week out? The writer of Hebrews will tell this and we'll do what I'm gonna finish doing in an entire chapter in a little bit. But this is what he says. We are here not to sing a few songs, not to check off the box because we went to church. It's because at any given moment in life, There's somebody in here, a lot of us in here, that are holding on for dear life. And what we need is not just a spoken word. We need a living word of hope. And what this community represents, I'll just say it for me, but I know it's true for you because I've been here long enough to say. You are living words of hope to me. I know I embarrass you all the time. But Gina and Wanda, I love you so much. I love you. I love, this one of my favorite pictures. Jordan snuck this picture in class one time and I asked her for it. I love this picture because it represents, I love your sense of humor. I love all of that, but there are two things I love about you so much, Gene. I love the way you love your wife. And you have for years. And I love the way you love your husband. Playfully, deeply committed. And I love watching you do that. And I love the way you love God. What a beautiful picture of that. One of the first things you ever said to me, Gene, is how much you love Albert because still, after all these years, he weeps over the promises of God. It's because you love God that much too. And I love you, Conley. Little Conley Dasher, it's not about how long you've been on the planet. Yeah, I'm I'm shouting you out because I love you, man. We were going into church camp and I wasn't feeling really well, and I get a text from Jacob, his dad, who said, not him, he was doing it. He was doing it too. Conley is praying for you. And I can still feel it right now. I'm sitting in the back row as things worked out well, and Conley was walking behind me the first day of camp, put his hand on my shoulder, and said, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here too, buddy. You're a living word of hope to me. And students, if you won't um, begrudge me this, I want to share. I don't know where he's sitting or if he's here, but I want to shout out to my friend. Because we don't have a whole lot of opportunities this side of this part of our story together to shout out to Greg Eubanks. But I told the students what I tell you as we finish up here that right before camp, the last thing I got a chance to do, me and Gary and Patrick and some others, went to the funeral of Greg's father. And there's a longer picture of the story, but let me just tell you this. The funeral's over, Greg spoke, he's ministering to his family, to the community, and grieving the loss of his father. They're walking out in the funeral recession. Do you understand the picture? Greg is standing behind his father's casket, and he leaned over to me, and do you know what he said? How are you doing? Guys, I had kidney stones. He was standing behind his father's casket. And not just that moment, all week, while he's ministering to his family and grieving his father, he cares about me. And I went out to him in the parking lot, and I said, it astounds me, Greg, your heart and what you were doing there. How do you do it? And this is what he said, three words. That's my dad. That's my dad. And I think if you asked his dad, what made that happen? Hear me, church. He would say, it's my dad. Because when we let the prompt, don't, Let hold, give up the hope. When we hold on to the hope, God will fulfill his promise to fill up our lives in such a way. It spills out in the lives all around us. And I love being with you because here we don't, we just worship and sing. We practice together, receiving the word of the Holy Spirit of God to be the living word for the community all around. Mark, would you come up? I'll leave you with this verse that we pray into. My favorite part of this passage was in the message translation. And this is the way it says it. We who have, listen, isn't this great? What does it look like to come to faith? It's not that we get it. We who run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. That's what we do for each other. That's what you guys do for me. You help me to hold on to the hope and let's practice that together not because we're great but because he is. Father God, we exalt, worship and celebrate you. You are the paraclete. You are the comforter. You are the advocate. You are our word of exhortation. You are the one who is embodied first in Jesus and then somehow in the brokenness of our own lives. You have embodied a word of hope for us and for the world all around us. Thank you, God, for not just speaking that hope to us, not just filling up the emptiness in our lives, but somehow using us to bless the lives of other people. In the glorious, resurrected name of Christ, we pray. Amen.